Going to Wellington now and Colin Peacock's in the studio for Midweek Media Watch. Good evening, Colin. Hi, Karen. Did you watch last night's great debate or was it? Uh, yeah, I thought I better had, um, along with uh, what TVNZ assures me is about 1.15 million other people who tuned in at least at some point. They say an average audience of 600 and 57,000 people, and for a 90-minute programme, uh, that's not bad. Uh, but, yeah, the critics didn't like it, did they? Um, a lot of criticism of it that uh, the two leaders talked too much to their talking points. Uh, some people said there was too much of uh, John Campbell in it, either in the form of sort of longer questions or too much interruption. I thought he actually asked some pretty good questions, including some nutty ones like um, DHB debt, which is an issue he himself has pursued as a journalist, which was a good one to put um, two political leaders on the spot about. But possibly a bit of fatigue kicking in, in a sense. It was a funny bit where about, I don't know, halfway through he said, yeah, I could do with the gin at this point. And some people have wondered whether um, Jacinda Ardern in particular looks a bit tired and whether maybe there are people who are thinking, oh, all this was supposed to be done by now. We were supposed to have had the election and it's still a month away. So there might be something of that in it. Got a text here for you already. Does Colin see any merit in the main media being banned from issuing their declarations about who wins a leaders' debate? No, not in uh, banning it. But I don't think it helps anyone terribly much to say one candidate was the winner, one the loser. Uh, I mean, so what? And then there'll be another one uh, along in a minute. And um, it's all subjective anyway. But one thing I do wonder, though, is um, why do we don't have the political editors fronting these things? Um, Maybe they need a real front person specialist interviewer. So John Campbell was in the One News Bulletin beforehand. Uh, you know, they crossed live to him where he was striding around the set, you know, telling people it was going to be huge and you wouldn't want to miss it. So maybe the showman, the the, the showbiz aspect of it um, really kicks in a bit because uh, three have their... Uh, one on the 30th of September. This is going to be Patrick Gower, again, not their political editor, Tove O'Brien. She's going to do a kind of post-match deep dive, as she calls it. But they're really hyping up their one, calling it uh, an epic showdown uh, that you won't want to miss. Um, The little online ad at the moment says it'll be a war of words to win your vote, and uh, they're really pushing it. So I wonder if if they get a bit more energy out of the candidates and a bit more enthusiasm uh, for the audience. We'll we'll just have to see in, um, well, less than a week. Well, that question actually went on to say, given a perhaps exaggerated influence over undecided voters and amplifying confirmation antagonistic biases, simply because uh, the media are saying who won and the public are going, yes, I agree with you. Yeah, possibly. When I didn't have an opinion before. (laughs) Well, I think very few people would go in with no opinion whatsoever. But for some people who don't engage hugely with politics, it is an opportunity for them to see the, the whites of the eyes of both of these leaders being asked, you know, and responding to the same issues, which is something you don't get um, in any other forum, except for perhaps in Parliament, where um, there's to and fro between um, the, the two leaders on occasions on one single issue. But I think that's what some of the critics are saying. There, there wouldn't be that much that you saw last night uh, that would sway a voter one way or the other. So, you know, people are saying Judith Collins performed better, um, got more points across, uh, spoke more, etc., dominated parts of the discussion, uh, possibly true, but whether that means she was, in fact, the winner, um, you know, who knows.
And there was more than one debate on last night, wasn't there? Yeah, funny thing, three debates simultaneously, uh, which I didn't realise actually as, as we went into the evening. There was a finance leaders debate live streamed by News Hub and also a debate by um, the HUI, which is doing ones in all the Māori electorates. Uh, it was the candidates for Wairiki um, that was in last night's one up against that head-to-head. Now, by all accounts, um, I didn't see much of the other two, only bits and pieces after the fact, but by all accounts, they were um, much more lively than the actual Ardern Collins head-to-head. And I do wonder whether perhaps uh, TVNZ suffered a little bit because they timed it to go with their latest Colmar Brunton poll, which as they do uh, with these polls that they've paid for and want to get their money's worth out of, they put a you know, lead story in the news. Um, however, the results weren't all that surprising, a fall uh, for Labour, a small drop for um, the National Party. And, uh, you know, the real story of that poll was actually that minor parties had, who've been said for so long to have been lacking traction and able, unable to get any oxygen because of, you know, the, the ructions in National and, um, you know, the heavy presence of Labour and, and its leader and so on. Um, suddenly the story was that third parties um, act in the Greens picking up a bit of support. Um, and, of course, their leaders were not <laughs> in uh, the, on the stage with... Um, Jacinda Ardern and Judith Collins. So perhaps um, one reason why it, it, came, it was a little flat. But there was one poll, though, um, that I, I would like to draw to your attention. It was on the weekend, and it was uh, a News Hub Nation poll. So that's the, the politics program that goes out Saturday and repeated on Sunday mornings. They're doing polls in what they call battleground electorates. They did one in Northland uh, either last week or the weekend before. And the one they had last weekend was really interesting. This was for uh, Central Auckland. And um, this is the way the host of um, a News Hub Nation, Simon Shepard, introduced it. Tomorrow on News Hub Nation, we're in Northland for a fierce debate between Willow Jean Prime, Matt King and Shane Jones. We'll move down the country to the crucial Auckland Central electorate for the results of our first ever News Hub Nation read research poll. Sit tight for the analysis of the most tightly fought electorates in the country one month out from the general election. Yeah, so a bit of hope there, but nothing like the promos you see at the moment for the the next uh, Collins versus Ardern debate, you know, the war of words and all of that. But in this case, I think it was uh, justified because the poll was really interesting. Uh, More than 500 people were interviewed by Reed Research um, in in the electorate. And uh, the poll put Labour's Helen White way out in front, more so than a lot of people expected. Uh, Nationals candidate Emma Mello is, is new to it, having to be picked late in the day after Nikki Kay pulled out. The Greens have Chloe Swarbrick, one of their most recognisable candidates, uh, making a real play to win that seat to give the Greens a guarantee of parliamentary representation. So, yeah, really interesting poll. And the uh, programme took it apart and showed you how... Um, Voters had changed their voting patterns since last time. Some of them might have been voting tactically, so maybe voting um, with the Green Party, if not for uh, Chloe Swarbrick as a candidate and vice versa. So a really unique sort of electoral situation, and they handled it really interesting, and I'll be really keen to see the rest of their polls from these um, so-called battleground electorates, including um, one that I live in in Wellington. And buying a house hasn't got any cheaper in New Zealand. Yeah, well, we had the pre-election financial update last week in Treasury saying even though parts of the economy uh, will be sliding downwards, uh, unemployment will be rising, but so will house prices, and it's a, it's a big issue. And this actually came to me because of that um, report they did on News Hub Nation about that 
poll in Auckland Central. Uh, Connor Whitten, their correspondent, he spent um, some time in the previous week with the Auckland Central candidates, put together quite a colourful report. And he raised um, the fact that Chloe Swarbrick and the Green Party had been uh, promoting their wealth tax policies, that's taxing New Zealanders with more than $1 million or $2 million in assets, 1% or 2%, that's their policy. And when he raised that with um, Labour's Helen White, he got this uh, response that uh, surprised me a bit. White has labelled the policy loopy, pointing to her retired parents who bought a home in the 1970s that now has a $2 million CV. If this goes through, then they would actually have to pay tax every year on it. So it would be like an extra rate. It seems completely insane. Yeah, no, that, that, um, that surprised me. To, to describe the policy of uh, someone there in coalition within government as you know, completely insane and loopy. I mean, it's not a policy Labour's in favour. And indeed, uh, just this evening, um, Julianne Genta of the Greens took part in a, a panel about uh, small business, I think on uh, News Talk ZB. And uh, she described it as a bottom line, this wealth tax. And that's immediately led to online stories. Um, I think the Herald says... Um, a fracture has been riven in the governing coalition between uh, Labour and the Greens, which is a bit dramatic. Um, so, but it's a point of principle for the Greens to describe, you know, this wealth tax as completely loopy and insane. I think is surprising, given that she's citing her parents having an asset of worth two million dollars. So there will be people, uh, you know, living in that electorate where housing is probably the most expensive it would be anywhere in the country. Listening to that and thinking, well, you know, in the light of the fact that you know Labor has announced a tax policy that only touches the two top two percent of income earners, um, that's that's pretty surprising. Do you think the media is taking the housing inequality issue seriously? Well, in this instance, yes, and I suppose that's the point I was kind of straying into political commentary, wasn't I, which I'm not really meant to do. But the point is a media point, because I think journalists have cottoned on to this issue, and I think politicians haven't, or if, if they want to make it one that they avoid, perhaps with the exception of the Green Party. In the Weekend Herald last weekend, um, Liam Dan, their business editor, wrote a kind of section leading, business section leading piece all about this, explaining why Treasury says house prices will still keep going, even though the economy's going to be in um, bad shape in the future by all projections. Uh, he says news that house prices are rising again will prompt entirely reasonable anger about the way traditional solutions to an economic crisis benefit the wealthy. And he says we need to start talking about these solutions. We need to be ready to enact them when this economy gets out of intensive care. Um, And then just as I read that on on Monday morning, actually, I started listening to the politics slot on 9 to noon on Monday, and their um, pundit lobbyist from the left that day, Neil Jones, was basically saying... um, well, don't hold your breath. There is a recipe growing right now for massive inequality in the next term of government. And I, and I will say, both National and Labour are utterly inadequate in their policies well, to dealing with this. Here's well, your problem. If they don't talk about this stuff before the election, they hamstrung how much, hamstrung the, how much they can do afterwards on either side. And this is the problem. And only the, 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 I think the issue, though, is we can sit here and recognise these issues, but the only party actually talking about them, the Green Party, is polling 3.2%. So I think the the public mood isn't quite there yet for big change. Yeah, see, I find that really interesting what Neil and Catherine were saying there because 
if experts can see this issue looming and, and journalists, but you know, as, as Neil's saying, look, the public don't have an appetite for this. They don't feel you know the pain yet that Treasury is talking about coming down the track. Uh, so they're not ready to discuss radical stuff. And if, if political parties aren't going to do it either, you know, I reckon there really is a role now for journalists to push this. And with a month to go till the election, it will be very interesting, I think, to see if that sort of issue. Um, the you know the high high cost of housing and the fact that it's such an asset and that it's essentially you know an unearned income uh, and and, and a, a, an asset that that uh, that people can sit on um, this might become an issue uh, raised in debates and by journalists. It'd be interesting to see if there is a bit more. And in a sense, you know, the media has a bit of a stake in this because, um, again, listening to the radio on Sunday, uh, News Talk ZB, part of the NZME uh, empire, has a whole section called One Roof. It's a whole um, online um, and multimedia, indeed, um, property news and advertising um, enterprise. On They have a radio show on Sunday and the property professional Ashley Church uh, was on it. Um, talking about this being the start of a new property boom and very enthusiastic about it. And I went on the One Roof site that has lots of property-related news stories, and there's a story on there uh, saying, um, in Auckland, the mega-wealthy and well-to-do don't have enough homes to suit their needs. And it quotes um, Ray White, Remuera estate agent Steve Korber, who has a client with a premium $30 million offer on his house, and he rejected it because he didn't know where else he would go. And another client that had an offer just shy of $20 million who went out shopping but couldn't find anywhere else, so decided to stay put. And then it quotes the uh, estate agent as saying, he said to me at the time, Steve, in 10 or 15 years, if I just stay where I am, this place will be worth about $60 million. Um, so that's that's uh, that's confidence in the enduring value of property in a post-COVID economy, isn't it? Yeah, good money if you can get it. <laughs> yeah. And on an entirely different subject, Patrick Gower on about weed again. That's his favourite topic, isn't it? Uh, yeah, seems to At be. At the uh, moment. Well, they did two documentaries, didn't they, last year, funded by New Zealand on air, Patrick Gower on weed. And they were big hits with the audience. They rated really well. So uh, the one on Monday night, um, the follow-up, you know, of course, much closer to the actual referendum, was billed as the TV event of 2020. By three, so I thought I couldn't miss the TV event of 2020. So I had <laughs> was a look. It? Yeah, there was a slightly different theme to this one because he was saying, "Look, is New Zealand ready for legal weed? Now it's decision time. If if we do this, and now that we know the terms of the the legislation and so on that that people are actually going to vote on, uh, that was the approach of of this one. And again, like the other two documentaries, he really did take people who might be interested but don't have much connection to this. Um, cannabis cultural knowledge. Uh, he did take you places that you wouldn't uh, ordinarily go. And um, yeah, Patrick gave me some pretty interesting characters along the way. Jay is an everyday user of weed and has been smoking all his adult life. You've been getting stoned for a long time. How many, yeah. how many years of those 33 have you been getting stoned for? Oh, I started when I was 16. You do the math because I can't. I'm too high. <laughs> he did actually do do uh, Patrick did the math for him, and then he said, "Yeah, yeah, that was probably a bit early. I probably should have waited till a bit later uh, to start uh, smoking weed." But um, th- it was sort of illustrated one thing that some people um, in the in the online responses to the program were saying that uh, these people who are quite passionate about cannabis and reckon it's harmless they end up being um you know they're trying to advocate for um the vote but i um, mean some of them sometimes they're, they're when they're seen on screen by people um who don't have a lot of knowledge about it they, they come across as probably not too good for the cause but um look i thought taken across all three programs i thought Patrick Gow did, did quite a good job of informing people um as well as you know entertaining them and they're very well put together um 
So, yeah, I think it was a good job they went back to this because I thought it was a slightly odd decision to have the two very high-rating documentaries, you know, almost a, you know, a year ago, a long time before the referendum, and just one uh, this time. But good job they went back to it in any case. And who's Bob Jones been calling a snivelling sod now? Yeah, this is a bit unpleasant, actually. Um, last weekend on Media Watch, we took a look at uh, a Broadcasting Standards Authority decision. They upheld a complaint against Mike Hosking of ZB. Um, he'd made misleading comments about COVID-19 death rates overseas. And it wasn't actually the first time, as we pointed out in the programme. Um, and as the BSA said, look, this is a matter of high public importance where the facts really matter, not like other issues where um, opinions get sprayed around on talk radio. And in the end, um, you know, it isn't actually about Mike Hosking. A lot of people wrote to us saying, why do you bother, um, you know, parsing the comments and the opinions of this guy who's just out there to engage people on the air, um, whether things are right or wrong. But it's about the broadcaster's responsibility. So the complainant who went through with this complaint, was criticised by Sir Bob Jones. These days, he doesn't have any columns anymore. He used to be in the Dominion Post, the NBR, um, but after various controversies, they got rid of him. But he's on uh, the BFD, which is the website, I think, of um, Cameron Slater's partner. Cameron Slater certainly heavily involved with it. And he said, oh, what a miserable, bleak, snivelling, uh, snivelling, miserable sod this person is, uh, claiming she was just jealous of Mike Hosking and so on. And after this, on the comments that some people went on, uh, found out her full name, publicised her full name of this complainant, went on her Facebook page, then criticised her for, you know, making it not private. And, uh, you know, so it's something a bit unsettling about a guy personally abusing someone who used a public process, which is used to uphold broadcasting standards, and then, you know, online warriors with a point to prove, you know, climbing and getting amongst her Facebook page and uh, all a bit unpleasant. And how did it end? Uh, well, I, I don't know, but I know that uh, this individual's Facebook page is now not online. So I do wonder if she's, uh, you know, it looks like she's taken it offline because she doesn't want any engagement. Looking at it, I wouldn't That's say... That's unfortunate. Well, it is. I mean, it's not a full-on pile-on. You've seen these things get a lot, lot worse and a lot more abusive. But like I say, it's someone who used a public process, done the right thing. You have to have a lot of patience. You know, it takes months to get a decision. It was about a matter of fact. It was entirely right and proper. She does it. She doesn't deserve to be, um, you know, harassed on social media or insulted by um, Sir Bob Jones on a, uh, a website associated with Cameron Slater, in my opinion. Just as a matter of interest, what does BFD stand for? I'm not actually sure. Big uh, friendly... Uh, I'm, I'm not sure. I, I, would, I wouldn't like to guess, but you know, when you say his old website out loud, it's um, not too radio friendly either. So, don't know. In, in, in short, well, that's it for the night. Thank you very much, Colin. That's all on uh, the Media Watch page on RNZ site. Yes, indeed. Links to all the stuff we've talked about is, is there, and a bit of stuff to read as well. All right, we'll talk to you in a couple of weeks. Sure thing. That's Colin Peacock in Wellington.